Hello, everyone. It's, it's good to be back with you. We were here recently, um, as we'd say in uh, France, bonjour, bonjour. I, um, if you weren't here with us um, earlier, um, I will be around. If you'd like to know a little bit more about the ministry, uh, uh, we can spend time together. I don't have to head back to Jackson, Mississippi. I'm going back to France in, on Wednesday, but uh, our home base right now is Jackson. If you don't know me, uh, please, I'll be back in the back afterwards. My wife, Carmen, was able, unable to come this time. Um, she would have loved to have visited, but uh, there's a lot going on in France right now with the ministry at the discipleship center that we have, and so she was required really to stay back and just kind of watch over things. And uh, I taught uh, this week online when I was back here. It's one thing COVID did for us, right? Taught us all to, to get by when we were apart, but uh, so we did that as well. I came over here to the U.S. for the International Fellowship of Churches with Fire, and I, I saw Pastor Rob there in Colorado last week and then went down to Mississippi to check on my mom, and she's doing quite well, and we're very thankful. Those of you who know that situation, we're just so thankful that, that God has overseen that when I lost my dad last year. And um, as an only child, I just have some responsibilities that require me to come back occasionally for that reason. Um, there's some ways to sign up if you'd like to receive our newsletter and understand more if you don't already get it through the church or whatnot about the ministry. We try to do that about ten times a year or so, maybe nine times a year, depending on what's going on in, in France. So you can do that at, at the back. And there's a, there's a few free things, like you can take bookmarks and things, and there's a few things I don't want you to take, but you can look at, and there's a sign on them. It's just some information about the ministry uh, that we're doing there with the discipleship center and soon to be a, an English first church plant. For those of you who are in Sunday school, you'll know the reason why that's important in Nantes, the sixth largest city in France, the fastest growing city as well in France. So we're, we're, we're so glad to be there. And thank you all as well for being part of that. I'll have more to say as we look at the scripture. Uh, and I'd like to look at the third letter of John, which was read earlier. It happens to be a missionary letter, so it's, it's quite appropriate for our time together. And I thank Pastor for praying for us. So I think we'll just we'll dive right in and we'll do the whole letter. How's that? Not too many people can say they preached the whole letter of the New Testament in one setting. It's only 15 verses, though. Um, if you've ever studied 1 John, it's longer, five chapters, you probably already learned that the Apostle John wrote these three letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, much later than he wrote the, the Gospel of John, of course. And after many of the Apostles had already died and, and gone to be with the Lord, and the Lord Jesus, in his providence, allowed John to live longer than the other Apostles. In fact, uh, at the end of the Gospel, you remember the, the situation where Peter and John and Jesus were on the beach, and Jesus is talking to Peter and you know, telling him his life's going to be hard. He's, he's going he's to die in a way serving the Lord. And Peter looks back behind his shoulder and said, what about this guy, which was John? And Jesus says, you know, if I choose for him to, to live until I come, let him live. Of course, John goes on to explain he didn't say that he wouldn't die. Jesus just said, if I choose to live, 
to let him live a long life, then I will. And John did. He lived a long, long life, longer than any of the original 12 apostles. So he lived a long time, and he likely spent a lot of his last years in, in what we call Asia or what we would call Turkey nowadays, and particularly in the city of Ephesus, which there's a, a letter that Paul wrote to Ephesus. And John may have written these three letters uh, while he was living there, and depending on one, how one dates the Revelation, these could be the last letters that we have written in the New Testament. They're, they're later in the first century at some point in time. And it's possible that Third John was written before First and Second John. Okay? Um, the letter of Third John is about a specific incident in the church which John was writing. And the third letter of John speaks about the actions of a true believer over against the actions of this uh, really mean guy, right? <laughs> that you just read about. Probably not. A true believer, one who has not seen God. First and second John certainly speak about our, our actions, our, about our behavior as believers, about our, our living out our Christian faith in our lives as but their main focus actually is a specific theological error error, pardon. And of course, we can never separate our, our doctrine and our practice. What we believe always affects how we live, but there's no specific doctrinal error per se addressed directly in this letter of 3 John. However, there's certainly a, a big problem with the one of the members we, we will meet here in this letter, one of the members of this church. If you've lived in, in France for uh, any amount of time, you will know that uh, many missionaries have... Uh, kind of come and, and gone over there. And in Christian circles, we often say that France is the graveyard of, of missionaries. They often go and they come back and they never serve again anywhere and are discouraged. But actually, that's not the case so much anymore. The, the church is growing, partly from immigration. Uh, we used to think that, you know, we all from the West would send everybody to the third world or to the 1040 window. But actually, missions has changed uh, the 1040 window is now coming back to the West to re-evangelize it. So France is actually one of the, particularly the part of France we live in, is one of the least reached parts of, of the world, not only just Western Europe. There's more Christians in Syria than there are where we live in France. Um, so it's very, very unreached. But it is growing. The church is growing, and there's quite a few needs for, for leaders, and that's one of the reasons we're there. But since the time of the Reformation, the Protestant church has sent numerous workers of the gospel to the soils of France, and there has been a hardened, there has been a hard soil there. There's been for many a, a French resistance, right, um, to the gospel, particularly to the gospel of grace alone through faith alone. And, and Jean Calvin, who we adore in America, is practically forgotten in his land of birth. I know only four uh, Reformed Baptistic churches in the whole country of France, and all four are quite small, and none of them are in the northwest where we are. They're all down in the south, in the southeast of France, all four of them. <laughs> so it's, a, it's quite something. And the liberal, the, excuse me, the Reformed church that ties back to the Huguenots, the French Protestants, has, has gone down the path of 
liberal theology, we might say, so they don't preach the gospel anymore, and some of them don't even believe in the truth of the scripture anymore. So you can pray for more folks to go. Many missionaries have come to France in part because they want to proclaim the gospel to those living in this land, in that land, which needed and still needs to hear the gospel and the truth of the Bible, not from tradition and not from, as in the case of the 21st century, the lack of any Christian foundation at all in France. France is not a Christian nation, folks. 60% call themselves Roman Catholics, but only 4% go there and go to the Roman church, and, and they're, of that 4%, many don't even claim to believe in God. I don't even know why they go, <laughs> to tell you the truth. So we're taking the gospel to that place. Now, as we look at Third John today, we'll see that there are missionaries being sent out to proclaim the gospel. Most likely, they are sent by John to a church in another part of Turkey, away from Ephesus, if he's writing from Ephesus. And when they arrive at the church, wherever it is, in the little town they are, they experience two very different reactions to their arrival. One reaction is commendable and good and right, while the other is, well, is evil, malicious. And the letter doesn't, uh, you know, whitewash the situation that these missionaries face and that John is going to have to face. So today, um, we're just going to see the proper way that, that they responded to the missionaries who came to work. And we'll look at the improper way that one responded as well, as they came to work for the sake of the Gospels, they came to work for the sake of Christ, for the sake of the name. All of those phrases are used to say, for the sake of spreading the Gospel. We'll see that in order to, that many Many might be sent, might, might change our thinking in, in light of that, in light of the truth of the gospel today. Now, please take note. We're just going to take note of the different actors. If I had a screen with an outline, I would show you, but I don't. But I'll, I'll emphasize the points of the outline as we go today. And the first point is just the actors. Well, who are the actors in this story? There's a lot of names in this little book. Well... First one, the beginning, says the elder, the elder. First we see John the Apostle, the elder, as he calls himself. For he, he's the overseer of this church from a distance where he's sending the missionaries to work. And, and he's been sent to, and excuse me, and he, he wants the church to send these folks even further out along their way. So John is very likely old, so elder is a good term, and he's also the leader of the churches in that area of Asia at the time when he writes the letter. For various reasons that scholars have uh, enunciated over the past, because of the style of the letter, the subject matter, the time it was written, the churches ascribed this letter to John since it was written. Actually, John never uses his name in the gospel, he uses the disciple that Jesus loved. And he was the one who, he always uses the third person, the sort of a way that he writes. He's the one who testifies to this truth you see in the gospel. And he knows that this is true. Here he calls himself the elder. The elder. So John is the apostle or the elder. Again in verse 1, we see a, another recipient. To the elder, to the beloved 
Gaius, Gaius, whom I love in truth. This is a personal letter, one of the only personal letters in the New Testament besides uh, Philemon and Titus and perhaps Timothy, you could kind of say, First and Second Timothy were personal letters, although a little broader. This is a personal letter. It's, it's uh, John loved this man personally in the truth, it says, whom I love in truth. Truth and love always go together in John's mind. And we'll talk more about Gaius in a moment, but he was one who gave the hospitality, the welcome to this next group that we see. So Gaius is the host. John the Apostle, Gaius, or Gaius is the host. Now, here's a third group, and I, I need to look at a few other verses. The third group we'll call the missionaries or the travelers. And we see them in several places. In verse 3, I rejoice greatly when the brothers came. The brothers came and testified to your truth. Uh, verse 5, Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are. Verse 7 and 8, For they have gone out, speaking of the brothers, for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers with the brothers, implied for the truth. It appears that in the early days of the church, missionaries were commissioned by the apostles and they were sent out to establish churches who were then to send them out further to travel around the world to take the gospel to places where it had never been proclaimed. In order to advance the gospel to unknown areas, other established churches would host the missionaries on their journeys. And then they would send them on their way with material support so they could perform the work of God that God had called them to do in the next place that they would go. They were extending the boundaries of Christianity together. They were extending the boundaries of the message of the gospel together. And these particular missionaries appeared to have stopped at this church where, where Gaius was a leader, somewhere away from Ephesus, and, and John was overseeing, and he sent them from a distance, but they returned to John. The brothers came and testified to your truth. They testified to, to Gaius and his truth in the gospel and the way he was walking in the truth. So they returned. They received a warm welcome from this man, Gaius. But the fourth person we're going to meet, not so much. <laughs> Diotrephes. Diotrephes. I hope no one has a name like that here today. If you do, don't associate yourself with this man. <laughs> In verse 9 and 10, we'll call him the troublemaker. The troublemaker. I've written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So Paul must have written an earlier letter. So the missionaries came to give a report, and then Paul writes this little letter, and he sends it back, and he, he tells guys, look, I've already written a letter, but you must not have gotten it. The atrophies likes to put himself first. So verse 10, so if I come, I'll bring up what he's doing, and then we see what he's doing, talking nonsense against us, not content with that. He refuses to welcome the brothers. He must have sent them away, and we see he did. He also stops those who want to welcome them, and he puts them out of the church. Now I know. I know all of you want to 
hear about this man after reading something like that. But could you wait just a minute? Just wait. Because we need to meet the last character, the last actor, and that's a man named Demetrius. Demetrius. And we see him in verse 12. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone. He carried this little letter probably back, probably along with some of the brothers who went back to Gaius. Demetrius received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. We'll call Demetrius the commended, the commended. So we have John the apostle or the elder, Gaius the host. The missionaries are the trouble and are the travelers. The Diotrephes, the troublemaker, and Demetrius, the recommended or the commended. That's the setting. John says, "I'm going to come back, but until then." Look at this man, Demetrius, and accept him. It seems obvious as we look at this letter that the Apostle John wants us to learn from men like Gaius and Demetrius. In fact, verse 11 would indicate that. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. That's just right after he tells us about Diotrephes, and then he goes on to tell us Demetrius has received a good testimony. So it seems obvious that he's drawing a contrast here between the Gaius and the Demetriuses and the Diotrephes among the church. A theme which will come up over and over again in John's letter is this. We must walk in the truth in love. There we go. Somebody's, somebody's helping me today. There's a lot of voices out there on the radio. So we, um, we see this uh, theme that com- comes up over and over again in John's letter. Walk in truth and love. Gaius, Demetrius, we're doing this. We see this right away. In the first verse, Gaius, whom I love in truth. You see, Christians, for our love for one another is, is based upon our mutual understanding of God's truth, of God's word. This is true if we've known one another for a long time or just a short time, like perhaps some of you are just meeting me today. If we love one another but don't confess together a set of revealed truths from Scripture, our love is really has no foundation, has no basis. It's, some have said that's sentimentalism, not really love, true love. On the other hand, if we follow the truth, uh, there's a French word called tatillon. It's uh, very specifically, but we don't love our brother and sister in Christ. Well, we become... We become harsh, legalists sometimes. We forget to take into account the great love and the grace and the forgiveness that Jesus gave to each of us who have trusted in his work for us when 
when we became part of the family of God, when we believed on his work on the cross, when we knew that God had sent in love the truth in Jesus Christ. So practicing truth without love leads to uh, a harshness. Practicing love without truth leads to sentimentalism. But practicing truth in love and love that stems from the truth, it leads to great joy together. I have no greater joy than to hear my children are walking in the truth. So those are the actors, the actors. Now I'm going to repeat a few things because we see now, the second point, we see the acclamation, the acclamation of Gaius. First, most letters in the first century start with a prayer. And so in verse 2, I, beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may have good health as it goes well with your soul. When we pray for one another, we often pray for spiritual and physical well-being of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Often in the ministry in France, Carmen and I find ourselves helping other believers and, and fellow workers in the gospel in spiritual and material, physical ways. We must remember that God saves us entirely, right? Our body and our soul. We're not just saved spiritually. One day we'll be redeemed, our bodies as well. That's part of the great hope, the blessed hope that we have. We cannot reverse the effects, of course, today of the fall on, on us. Eventually, we're going to run down and die if the Lord doesn't return, but he will raise our bodies up on the last day. So we are saved physically. Even we meet the physical needs of those even as we minister to their, spirit, their spirits, their, their souls with the truth of the gospel. Now, John has good reason to mention the well-being of the body of Gaius, of his health in the opening letter. Not because he thinks he's always going to be healthy, wealthy, and, you know, prosperous, but because he loves him, and there might be a little hint of what's to come in First and Second John there as well. You see, what was going on in the first century, later in the first century, there was a theological error that John is going to have to address later on. And it had to do with the body, or with the material world in general. You see, the error that was going on was, people were thinking that the physical material world was not all that important. And they began thinking that salvation is strictly a spiritual thing and, and that even Jesus wasn't really in a body. He wasn't really in the flesh. He didn't really come as a human being. He just appeared that way. Now, this all stems from Greek philosophy that thought the spiritual world was the real thing and then what we see is just a, a shadow or um, an idea that comes from the actual... And, and this took on took hold, and John was beginning to have to fight this. It's called, it's actually, the, the error was called docetism, from, means to appear, from the Greek word to appear. 
And so the body was, we see this in Corinthians too, the body was just not something important that people thought of, the material world in general. That's totally different than, of course, our world, our material world today, right? We, you can meet a lot of guys on the street that'll say, man, Jesus, he was a good man. Might have even been a, a prophet. Now, I talk about him being uh, part of the divine holy trinity that came from heaven, who was spirit and took on flesh. Whoa, whoa, whoa wait a second. I can't believe that. You know, I can't see that. So we're just the opposite today, right, in our world in many ways. But not the case. The first century Christians had the opposite. They had to think about convincing people that Jesus came in the flesh. And by the way, Jesus coming in the flesh was an extremely important concept. Uh, this week was Ascension Day, 40 days after well, Jesus said, you guys wait in 40 days. For 40 days, he was on the earth, and then he ascended. We see that in Acts 1. It's very important that he's ascended as a... He just didn't go back as a spirit. He went back as fully God and fully man. Why? Because he intercedes for us. He, he's doing his work in his holy priesthood, as we read in Hebrews. All of those things that he's doing for us are, are part of his his human nature as well as divine nature. So it's very important that we worship the whole Christ, fully God and fully man. If you read in 1 John uh, chapter 4, I'll just turn there real quickly, and you can see later on, you can get an idea of what John is going to have to deal with. The very first three verses of 1 John, he says this, of chapter 4, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, probably talking about the prophets or the, the way that the prophets uh, gave the testimony of Jesus Christ at the time in the early church. Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets, that's why, that's, there it is, have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. See why John was saying that? He's, he's having to convince some early believers that, hey, this world is real. Jesus is a real, full man. Lived his life as a man perfectly to take your place. <laughs> to live a life that you and I couldn't live as human beings. The second Adam who came to live the law of God, the righteousness of God, so that we could then have the righteousness of Christ credited to us as we believe and trust in his work. So, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. So, after that short theological, maybe not so short theological diversion, we see that Gaius, we'll go back to Third John, he is praised for his, or he is prayed for by John for his well-being, his physical, and for his well-doing. 
Verse 3, I rejoice greatly when the brothers came to testify to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than that here that my children are walking in the truth. Praise for his, or prayer for his well-doing. Gaius was a faithful man. He hosted these missionaries. How many visited, we don't know. He's commended for his life of truth. He's a man who serves in the realm of truth. He's a man that understands the doctrines of the faith. He's characterized in his life by walking in them. He walks his talk, you know, we say. He lives out what he believes. He does not send away those who come to him with a need. And he tells them to come back. He doesn't send them away and tell them to come back when their need is met. But he, he works with them. He meets their needs. He shows them that he's truly a believer in Christ. He displays the life of Christ in his life. Now, I know I've never talked to Pastor Rob. I don't think about this, but I'm going to speak on his behalf. He doesn't know that yet, but I'm going to. One thing I know, and I haven't really asked this question, but I know the answer already the pastor would give me. When he sees that you all are helping those in need, it brings him joy, I'm sure. However, when he sees that you are doing this because you are walking in the truth of the gospel, that that's the foundation at which your love for others springs, it brings him even greater joy. For if we know the truth of the gospel, our actions of love for one another will follow. Truth and love go together, but truth is that soil which love sprouts and grows. And that's what we see here in Gaius. The third point, not only the actors and the acclamation of Gaius, but we see the assistance of Gaius, the assistance of Gaius. And you've already read it, but just to remind you, see what he did. He, uh, we'll, we'll start in verse 5 again. He's a it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church, you will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers of the truth. We're just going to tick these off, his assistants. First, he shows loving hospitality. Strangers as they are. He hosts them. He doesn't limit his love to those he knows, but he hosts strangers. And actually, the word hospitality has in it that sense that we're, we're hosting people we really don't know all the time. Gaius hosts these missionaries for he knows they come from John and they're on their way to spread the truth of the gospel. His love for the truth, the spread of the gospel, spills over for his love for them. Perfect strangers until that day, as some of us are here today. You know, in France, uh, well, anywhere, when we meet a true believer whom we've never known, immediately there seems kind of a connection, right? Have you ever noticed that when you go, like, to visit another church and all of a sudden you're friends? Now, we Americans, we're, we're friends with everybody anyway. That's the way we are. That's our culture. And, and it kind of throws the French off a little bit. Sometimes I'll even use that as kind of a, someone I might know a little bit that's, but that's French, but not too much. Uh, it's 
say, uh, Henri or Bastion comes to my door and knocks, hey, how you guys doing, you know? And I don't even like big hugs, but I'll give them a hug. And it kind of throws them off. See, we're, we're a very informal culture in America, but in France, it's, it's a little bit more formal. I'll admit that it's good. It's good to be friendly like Americans if it's, if it's sincere. That's a good thing. But now just think about it. If you met someone who's a believer, not just someone off the street, a French person that you're just saying hi to, but a believer, you go in there and, man, wow. You know, we, before COVID, we had the bisou, you know, the kiss, kiss on both cheeks. That's all gone now. <laughs> it's too bad. It was very French. But, no, if they were believers, us Americans, we would, ah, man, how you doing? Slap them on the back, you know. It's just the way we are. Because we love our brothers and sisters in the truth. Now in verse 6, they testify to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. This, this phrase simply means that send them on a way that accords with what you believe. Let your actions match what you say you believe. Send them on their way in a worthy way manner for they have gone out for the sake of the name accepting nothing from the Gentiles could I add a couple I want to take a detour sometimes we talk about philosophy of missions and I'm going to add a, a couple tidbits I'm going to add two here and one at the end of what I say but I, I will say this from and it's an application of this passage, but I truly believe it's, it's a good application. The first is for the missionary. When we obtain our support to do the work overseas or wherever God has sent us, it's my firm belief that our support should come from the church, not from the Gentiles, the Gentiles being un believers here in this case from the unbelievers in the world I cannot tell you how many times I've read books you want to go out and be a missionary go to your local businesses go pillage go, go pillage all the money that you can I don't think so I don't think so the second thing is for the church send missionaries well equipped now this is not an indictment on you all we're, we're, we're very thankful you all are very generous and we're thankful but just sometimes when I'm on the mission field I, I have to make critical decisions uh, financial decisions very quickly because of the nature of the, the work and sometimes I, I go beyond I take a little step beyond what I think we might have right now financially not in a reckless manner but 
But I do it because I know the situation. I know the situation on the ground. I know if this opportunity gets away, it might not come again, like in December when we got the house next door, things like that. Now, I'm not presuming on God when I do this, but I do know that we can just make the need known and believers across Canada and the United States and wherever we go, their heart beats for the work of God as well. And, and that need will be met. I believe in the transfer, transforming power of the gospel in this whole work and in the lives of believers back home as well, which manifests itself sometimes in just sending with the money and resources that we have. We're much, much wealthier in the United States than even they are in France. There is a wealthy class in France, but overall, not so much. On the other hand, can I go back to the, the folks that don't believe that we might ask money about? I, I don't wish to ask someone to support the gospel work who does not believe in the gospel, and there's one big reason why. There's no benefit to that person. In fact, there might be a, a lack of benefit in the fact that if he gives this type, to this type of work, he might think that he's actually earning something from God. Here you go, God. I've been good. In fact, he might think he's earning something from God by giving to charity when all along he's staying in darkness, not understanding that the gospel is what? A free gift from God not to be earned by anything good that we do. The good flows after God has transformed us. <laughs> and even our good works are transformed by Christ because <laughs> there's always taint in those good things. So that's my philosophy of mission. And I think it's important for us as a church to understand that. So, Gaius, he shows loving hospitality. He gives generously, as we see in verse 6 and 7. And lastly, he ministers together with missionaries. Verse 8, therefore we ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers of the truth. The missionary task is a task of co-laboring together. Those who give to our work back here in the United States and in Canada, you are fellow laborers with us. Churches and Christians, missionaries work together. The church hosts them. The church gives to their work. In turn, we become a team. We have a group of res the residents at the center get together every Saturday, and we have petit déjeuner. We have breakfast together, and then we do our discipleship time together. It's the only time I can get like seven or eight, twenty-something people together at one time. And we and we've been studying Colossians. We're studying leadership now. If you were in Sunday school, but but when, when they're sitting around the table, I often think, and this is not a missionary story, I often think that you all and other churches that support us, you're actually in, in some way, you're, you're, I wish you could be there in person, but you're there, you're there with us, co-laboring together around the table. And it's France, so we do a lot of table fellowship, a lot of table ministry. And we sit around the table together and we eat and we learn the truths of the gospel. It's like you're sitting there with us at the table. I know some of you wish you were. 
But God has a task for all of us to do. We do this together because we love the truth together, which in turn spills over into the love of the workers of the truth and for the love of those who are hearing the gospel from them, sometimes for the first time. So, if it were all so simple, right? If it were all that simple. But, we do get to verse 9 and 10 again. I told you I would come back to Diotrephes, and so I'll come back to him. I've written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he's doing, talking wicked nonsense against us, and not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want, who want to welcome them, and he puts them out of the church. Here we see point four, the actions and attitudes of diatrophies, or the attitudes and actions of diatrophies. And let me just tick them off for you. He's self-serving. He likes to put himself first. He rejects authority. He does not acknowledge our authority. And this is the Apostle John we're speaking of. He talks too much and with evil intent. If I come, excuse me, if I come, I'll bring up what he's doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And then he's a dictator and a demagogue. He throws out those who don't want to welcome the missionaries, and he throws the missionaries out at the same time. He puts them out of the church. He's kind of a, a control freak, we might say. Now, the real problem with Diotrephes is that he thinks he's really important. And that the Apostle John, who brings the truth of the gospel with the authority of Jesus Christ, he thinks the Apostle John is in his way. Diotrephes believes he's in charge. He doesn't humble himself to anyone. He's even a slanderer of the Apostle. In fact, the Greek word that we see for talking wicked nonsense has the sense of actually meaning just evil words come bubbling out of his we could say heart, right? Because that's where the words come from first, out of the mouth, that mean nothing. They're just simply lies. They're not even close to the truth. What comes out of his mouth is coming from his heart, and this man's heart is full of lies, nonsensical babble. He's not a child of the truth. He's child of who? The father of lies. That's just the way it is. I'm sure you've met people in the workplace, in school, wherever, kind of like this. A little bit tough, right? Imagine in church. Say, um, Pastor Rob decided to go to Mumbai on vacation. I don't know why you would go to Mumbai. But he had some Indian missionary friends that he met there, and they wanted to come over and go to Toronto and Vancouver because there's a big Indian population there. And, and, and he thought, hey, I can send them to the church, and the church can help them on their way, and they can minister to their Indian brethren that are now on, on the North American continent, which wouldn't be unusual because, like I said, missionaries are now coming from the third world back into the first world. And so 
he's still on vacation in Mumbai, and here comes the Indian missionaries, four or five of them walk in the door, and wow, you guys embrace them. You, you love them, you're ready to send them out, but nope, the atrophies comes by and says, go back to India, and none of you can help these people. We don't want to help these people. And by the way, if you want to help these people, why don't you hit the door too? <laughs> wow, <laughs> that's pretty rough. That's pretty tough. Just think what would happen when Pastor Rob got back from Mumbai. <laughs> that would be hard. That would be really hard. And that's what John is having to do. He says, I'm going to come, I'm going to come, and I'll take care of it. I'll take care of it. Now, as we come to a close today, as we come to a close, let's not forget that all is not lost here. The atrophies does not win the day, okay? God builds the church, and he uses men like the Apostle John and Gaius and this last man, Demetrius. And here we see in verse 11 and 12 the acceptance of Demetrius. I'm writing this letter, and I'm going to send it in the hand of this man called Demetrius. Beloved, don't, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever, whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. Don't be a Diotrephes. Be a Demetrius, a Demetrius. Doing good works does not earn our place before God, but doing good, loving others in the truth. This is what authenticates our testimony to others as true believers. If you were to study 1 John, you'd know that John lays out tests for us to say, how can we be assured in our hearts that we are truly believing the Lord Jesus Christ with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength? He says, well, do we keep the commandments? Not all the time, of course, because later on he says, do we confess our sins? If we say we haven't sinned, we're liars. Are we characterized by a, confess a life of confession? Do we live a life that's more and more characterized by refraining from sin and by loving God and by loving others? These are the things that assure us deep in our hearts that we, are, we have seen God in the scriptures and in Jesus Christ. And that we have known God and we have believed in God and we have trusted in God and we have loved in God and we have placed our trust and faith in the work of God in Christ Jesus. On the other hand, the implication here is that the atrophies has not seen. He's not a true believer. He's not keeping the commandments. He's not loving others. He's not asking forgiveness for sin. He's not refraining from sin. He's not characterized more and more by a love of God and others and a growing sanctification in his life. He's working against God, not for God. But Demetrius is a true believer, and he's a tested believer. I testify to his truth, and my testimony is true, God says. I told you I was going to give you one more little
philosophy of ministry nugget here as we close. I think it's an important principle of missionary work, something to put in our philosophy of missionary toolbox or philosophy of missions toolbox. Since someone is tested, that is tested. Now, that doesn't mean you have to do like we did and after our kids were out of college and we pastored for 15 years in the Pacific Northwest, we go, okay? You're not going to find too many people <laughs> to go to the mission field if you wait for that. Young people need to go because they need to learn on the ground as well. I'm not saying that you won't learn once you get there. In fact, you learn all the time when you get there. All you need to do is go to the store. You ever gone to a store in a foreign land? In France, it's overwhelming. <laughs> so you're learning on the ground. I'm, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that you have to know everything before you go to the mission field. But your testing ground, as those who you send, is right here. It's right here. A person who loves the church in his home will love the church in his home away from home. I stumbled across a, an idea a while back from, I think it was from Nine Marks Ministry, if any of you ever read some of their stuff. And it was titled something like, Please Don't Send Us Any More Missionaries. And I went, oh, that's interesting. And if you read on further, um, if you read the article, it's saying, Please don't send us any more untested, unbelieving, untrained, unproven missionaries or people that aren't on that road to becoming that, who haven't been tested first in some way, who haven't lived within the soup of the local church here at home. Now this doesn't mean that we can't go to the mission field and serve partly as a, as a training ground and I think people should go and many of us have gone on shorter term missions and became our, our spark, right? That wanted us to be more and more involved and those are good things. But what I'm saying is the work of the gospel, working for the sake of the name is too important, it's too hard, it's too involved to send out. Um, often we get inquiries of our mission of those that aren't even baptized yet. Come on, guys. And what do we do? I don't know what other missions do, but I know what we do. <laughs> we send them back to their home church. And we say, can you guys baptize this person and make sure they're a believer first? I'm not kidding. Now, but I say this because this is, this is a really, really um, important task to go. And... Um, if you melt down in the church in America or in culture in your own country, the, I, the idea of you melting down in a foreign land is magnified tremendously because of all the differences. And so you, you just have to be tested and tried. He was tested by the church, by God's word, and by John himself. Apostle says, I'm going to come. I don't want to write you anymore. Right now, I'll, in pen and ink, I hope to see you soon. And he'll take care of 
the idea of the discipline of the atrophies at that time. Now that's not going to be an easy job for John. He won't relish it, but it's necessary for the sake of the truth, for the love, the purity, the spread of the gospel, for the sake of the church. In the meantime, John says, welcome faithful workers of the gospel who count on us to send them on their way that they may accomplish the task before them and who are tried and tested by the truth of God's word and show the love of Christ in their lives. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Thank you so much, folks, for, for being those who send out people to other parts of the world. I mean, there's needs everywhere. Just so happens that you connected with someone in the Republic de France. <laughs> and we're so glad to be there. And, and God is doing a good work in France. It's sometimes you just have to convince people, those of us who have been around, that, hey, we heard France is tough. Yeah, it's tough, but you know what? It's not as tough as, as it used to be. And there's the needs are really, we're really right on the forefront now in France. I think those who have gone before us have laid the foundation, and God is starting to build it. And you're part of that, and I thank you so much. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the, the worship of the church today. We thank you for the local church who sends out others to plant other local churches because it is by your church, Lord, that the kingdom is spread. You're building your church. And we thank you, Lord, that we're just little small parts of that effort. A little finger, a hand, an arm, a leg, some feet, whatever we've, you've chosen to, to do, Lord, you've, you've given us those, those gifts to go out and, and take your gospel to others that need, need to hear the gospel of grace in Jesus Christ. And we do thank you in Christ's name. Amen.